It's a Mailbag Monday. We're going to talk about that Marlins-Twins trade from over the weekend and then answer your questions about Brian Anderson to the Brewers, some Royals and Angels prospects, and it, the big story nobody's talking about, the future of the TV contracts with MLB. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. So Mailbag Monday, as we do every Monday, we are answering questions from listeners. Reminder, if you have a question for the show, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show is on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com, or drop your questions into LockedOnMLBProspects Discord. Link is in the episode description. Link is in the show notes. Real quick, before we get to the questions, there was a trade on Friday. The Twins sent first baseman Luis Arraez to the Marlins for right-hand pitcher Pablo Lopez and two prospects. Really interesting trade. I think I do think... Because this is what you have to do, right? You have to decide a winner and a loser right away. I do think the Twins won the trade. You trade a player who is, don't get me wrong, very good. A very like very good with contact uh, hitter in Luis Arraez, albeit a little bit defensively limited. So last year, 316, 375, 420, 8 home runs, 40 extra base hits. 50 walks to 43 strikeouts. One of the hardest players to strike out in MLB. Is going to hit over 300. Is going to have an on base over 350. Slugging percentage at best is going to be in the low fours. Like I said, defensively limited. Played first base for Minnesota last year. Uh, has played some second. Graded out of round average or so. The hands are, are, are fine, but the range isn't necessarily great. You turned three years of Luis Arraez into two years of starting pitcher Pablo Lopez, who at this point, if you listen to the show and don't know who that is, and I'm sorry you didn't pay attention, we've talked about him at length in this show, as well as two prospects, shortstop Jose Salas and outfielder Byron Churio. So we talked about Salas on Friday's episode. Yeah, Friday's episode. 2019 IFA, and we had him as a top four prospect in the system. That's more of an indictment on the system than a positive on him. But still, 109 games last year in the lower minors, 250, 339, 384, nine home runs, 33 extra base hits, 43 walks to 95 strikeouts, and 33 of, I think 34 on stolen bases. Very well-rounded player, right? Can play second, can play short, can play third, uh, he's got above average, above average arm strength, so I can see that. The power potential, we're talking about probably at best an average power potential. So you think about if you move him into second base, you don't lose the profile of the slugger at third. And a lot of this still depends on physical development, right? He was in the low minors. He's 19 years old. You have a lot of stuff to figure out. He has shortened the swing a bit, simplified the swing a bit. Uh, and it's just something where 
Again, well-rounded. No standout tool, but no like glaring weakness. He should be average to above average at just about everything. So a lot of potential there, and you have time to figure out what you have with Jose Salas. And then the other part of this trade, 2022 IFA Byron Shorio. So 51 games in the DSL. 344, 429, 410, one home run, 10 extra base hits, 25 walks to 27 strikeouts, and 19 to 26 on stolen bases. This is a lottery ticket, right? Uh, You're taking a 17-year-old outfielder who has not made it stateside yet. There is zero, like, there is no way to project what he's going to be as a big leaguer. We can talk about the tools and how they might change between now and when he makes it, if he makes it. But it's very hard to, to, I mean, you're looking at five, five years before you probably would see this kid in MLB, again, assuming he makes it. Uh, I, I do think of the tools, he's an above average runner, uh, six, six, two frame, long strides. He should be able to continue playing center field, but if the physical development gets a little out ahead of him, uh, the, the arm above average, it's strong enough to fit into a corner. Uh, offensively, again, batted 344, really good. Had, I think, a top four or top five WRC plus in the organization. Although, caveat, he was in the DSL with a bunch of 16 and 17-year-olds. Uh, his uh, walks to strikeouts, close to one. Fantastic ratio. In the zone, he only missed 12% of the time. So that's something we can look at and portend that, okay, he has really good contact ability. As he continues to fill out and take on hopefully good weight, that should continue. So, uh, switch hitter, the swing looks good from both sides of the plate. Uh, it's it's something where the power projection and the physical development is going to like the, the power projection is going to figure out his offensive ceiling. The physical development is going to determine his defensive ceiling because if he puts on too much weight, he may have to move to a corner. But you can see the tools, and it's a promising international prospect. And so you have to kind of like that. End of the day, one year of a defensively limited first baseman who is going to play second base for Miami. I forgot to mention this. So Miami has said Arias is going to play second. Jazz Chisholm is going to move to center field. This is something Jazz is a little bit of a, it's been described as a free spirit on defense. And so moving him to center field is not a bad decision. Now, they moved him from shortstop to second base for injury concerns, and so that makes me worry because center field has a higher incidence of injury than second base does. You have a wall you can hit out there, a lot of the leaping. Royce Lewis with the Twins was going out to get a ball in shallow center field when he tore his ACL. Ronald Acuna made a jump at the wall, tore his ACL against, I actually think Jazz hit the ball that Ronald Acuna went to go catch when he tore his ACL. So, there is still injury concerns out there, but it's just an interesting decision. You're going to have Arias there. You're going to have Wendell at second base, who, I'm sorry, you're going to have Joey Wendell at shortstop, who, as we've covered on this show before, has never been a full-time shortstop. He's played there 20-something games in the bigs and handled himself fine, but he's never been the full-time shortstop. And then you have Jacob Amaya in the minors. The expectation to me, what it feels like they're trying to do is Amaya is going to come up and take over the job from Joey Wendell. And Joey Wendell's in the final year of his of his team control, of his deal, so you could move him at the deadline if you wanted, or just have him as a backup for the rest of the year, and a depth piece to also help you out with third base, where you also have John Birdie who can help out. 
and you have multiple options across the infield. You'll probably see John Birdie come in a lot for Arias late in games as a defensive replacement, things like that. Just an interesting trade here. Again, I do think the Twins won because we have to give a winner and a loser. That's how all of this stuff works. But you had to make this trade if you were Miami. You had to give up extra pieces to get an MLB-ready hitter. You weren't going to settle for getting prospects because you need the help on your MLB team this year. Brian in our Discord asked about Brian Anderson to the Brewers and what this is going to change for them. As I understand from talking to people who cover the team, uh, the thought process here is Brian Anderson, I thought he was just going to be like a depth insurance piece. They've said that the plan is he's at least initially going to play a lot of third base, which means Luis Urias is free to play second. Now, there is a question about what that does with Bryce Terang as he's trying to come up. To, to, to me, what made sense here with Brian Anderson to the Brewers is he can play third base, he can play corner outfield. And so outfield, we've covered this for the Brewers. You have a ton of young prospects that you're trying to get up into the bigs. You have a bunch of outfielders and a Sal Frelick and a Joey Weimer. You obviously already called up Garrett Mitchell, but lots of guys you're making room for so Brian Anderson can fill in in a corner when if either those, one of those guys has a day off or isn't performing or before you call them up. Same thing here with Bryce Terang at second. You have Willie Adamas at short. You have Luis Urias at third. It feels like on this roster, Luis Urias is really your only backup shortstop if something happens to Adamas. And so now you have a guy in Brian Anderson who can play third base if you have to move Urias to short. When Terrain comes up, if he takes over second base full-time, you can move Urias to third. And now Brian Anderson is a very valuable veteran depth piece off your bench who can play corner outfield and third base for you if a guy needs a day off, something happens, and then can cover, like I said, can cover outfield at-bats for you if one of those youngsters isn't ready or needs a day off or before you call them up. In just a minute. I want to get to some questions from listeners about the Kansas City Royals pitching development as well as shortstops with the Angels. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our new friends at FanDuel. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because it's the number one sports book in America. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have a ton of great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. So if you're a new customer, you can join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. They have all of the NFL playoff odds out there right now. Money line, point spread, player props. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. If you're looking at MLB, as we do on this show, they have World Series futures out there. You can see Houston Astros are the favorite, plus 600, Yankees plus 650, Dodgers plus 750, Mets plus 750, Padres and Braves at plus 1,000, Phillies at plus 1,400, Jays at 1,500, Mariners at 1,600. They also have a bunch of fun props out there that they've just started with the World Baseball Classic as far as the outright winners of the World Baseball Classic. Your favorite's the Dominican Republic, plus 200. Followed by Team USA at 250, Japan at plus 350, Puerto Rico at plus 1100. If you want to know more about the World Baseball Classic and want us to cover it, leave a, drop us a comment on YouTube 
or send us a tweet or hop in the Discord and let us know because we've had this conversation with people about do they want to hear more about the World Baseball Classic or not. But in the meantime, all of this takes place on an app that's safe and secure and super easy to use. So don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Okay, so questions from listeners. Jim in our Discord had a question about, do the Royals get Jackson Kowar or Brady Lynch to figure it out? Uh, So context here. The 2018 draft was a pitching-heavy draft for Kansas City. They took a lot of college pitchers with the thought process of, we can get these guys, they have a higher floor, maybe a lower ceiling, but a higher floor, and we can get them to the bigs sooner. And for the most part, they have done that. So last year, at different times, you saw Brady Singer, Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubik, Jonathan Heasley, all in the bigs in the starting rotation. The catch is, everybody outside of Brady Singer had an ERA over five. So you only get partial credit for getting them to MLB, Because as of right now, they're also not very good. You've got to get these pitchers to be better. Jackson Kowar is the one out of that group that hasn't even made MLB. Uh, 2018 first rounder out of Florida. And one of the issues, or hasn't stuck in MLB. He's got uh, about 46 games in the, or 46 innings in the bigs. He just hasn't stuck yet. The thing here is he suffers from control issues. So last year, 20 games started in AAA Omaha, 4-10 with a 6-1-6 ERA in 83 and a third innings, 88 strikeouts, so 9.5 per 9, to 43 walks, 4.6 per 9, and 14 home runs allowed. So the walk number, 4.6 per 9, the home runs, 14 allowed. It's a scenario where you obviously, you have things that you have to work on. Uh, the, the, his bread and butter is the changeup. It is a 70-grade changeup. It is a vertical dropper, and it, uh, it, it's it been described to me as like a trap door. Like, it just literally just drops out from underneath your bat. Uh, very, very good pitch. He feels confident in it. He'll throw it in any count. He'll throw it to any batter, lefty or righty. It's a 70-grade pitch. The fastball grades out as a 60-grade pitch. 94, 95, things like that. But it doesn't always act like a 94, 95 mile an hour fastball. We've talked about this with a couple guys now, but it seems to play down, especially when it's thrown up in the zone. Not a lot of deception to it, not a lot of movement to it. When he throws it well, it has like a two-seam life where it'll run in on a righty, on a right-handed hitter, and so it really makes it tough for them to deal with and has some kind of late sink to it. But too often when it's thrown up in the zone, it does not work and it gets rocked. And you, I mean, you see the 14 home runs. That's part of what it was, was people teeing off on that fastball. Uh, he's worked on the curveball. It wasn't great at Florida. We've talked before about Florida pitchers not necessarily being that well-developed when they come to MLB. Uh, he's improved it where I think it's above average, could potentially be a plus. It's kind of an 11 to 5, has a good shape to it. If he could land it for a strike more consistently, I think it would be an actual weapon he could use. Uh, But again, the issue is the control is just kind of iffy. He still has to figure out consistently throwing strikes. Now, the 
the Royals have taken some steps to try to get better with pitching development. One of the hires they made in the offseason, they hired Paul Minhart over from the Nationals. He was pitching coach for them, uh, but he he's a pitching advisor in the minor league department. And so he is only thing he's doing is traveling around and working with individual pitchers on stuff. He was one of the coaches that really helped those younger pitchers of the Nationals, like a Strasburg, on their path to that World Series. So the hope is that he can help with this. And the Royals have have bumped up how much of the how much staff is in the pitching development department and in the player development department and tried to get better at incorporating analytics. Uh, in the past, they've always had some weird rules, like lower minors pitchers couldn't watch film of their bullpens without a coach present, which is just an old school kind of way of doing things. And they've tried to modernize some of that. Changing GMs obviously helps. Changing managers obviously helps. So I'm hoping that this season is where you start to see some of these big league pitchers settle down, find the stuff, and you see Jackson Kowar come up to the bigs and stay this time versus coming up and going back down because the ERA in 21 was 11.2 and the uh, the ERA in 2022 was 9.7. Tyler, in our email, longtime listener, plenty of questions to the show. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, sent in question about some Angels shortstops. They have Zach Neto, Werner Blakely, and Denzer Guzman all in the minor leagues. Uh, who's the best defender? Who's the best offensive player? Who's the best all-around player? And where are they all going to play? So Zach Neto's a 2022 first-rounder out of Cal Poly. 37 games in the low minors last year. 299, 377, 476. Five home runs, 15 extra base hits. Uh, 12 walks to 33 strikeouts and 5 of 7 on stolen bases. And I said low minors. 30 of those 37 were actually in double A. As a 2022 draftee, he went straight to double A and raked. Everything just about got better at double A. The strikeouts ticked up significantly. But other than that, uh, the on base was higher. The slugging was much higher. The batting average was much higher. He is the best defender and the best all around to me. I do have questions about the ceiling on the power. Uh, The raw power is kind of average. The exit velos aren't anything amazing, but decent bat speed and uh, ability to pull and put a barrel on a ball, I think he could get to 20 home runs. Defensively, very good instincts at shortstop. The arm is a plus arm. It's accurate. Uh, Good hands. The things that he kind of has to work on defensively is the timing, which is something you see a lot of high, of college draftees at their first taste in pro ball, is he sometimes doesn't necessarily know when he can or can't make the play. And so he'll try to uncork and rush a throw that has no way of beating the runner, and it'll be wild. Maybe just drop it in your pocket. Let's live to fight another day. Uh, so kind of common things to work on, but I do think he can stick it short If he does have to move, he does have the plus arm to move to third. I just then worry about the power profile. Questionable about hitting 20 or not. Doesn't seem to fit the right power profile for third. Uh, Denzer Guzman's the guy that I would put at third, by the way, if we're doing this. 2021 IFA, 52 games in rookie ball last year. 286, 341, 422. Three home runs, 17 extra base hits. 15 walks to 44 strikeouts. Three of four on stolen bases. I do think defensively he would be above average at third base. Again, I do question the power profile fitting there. And hopefully Rendon's 
healthy for long enough where you don't have to worry about this for a while. But uh, he's got good quality of contact and he has good bat speed. He just needs to add strength. It's something he's a younger guy, obviously. Um, I want to say he's just now 18 years old when he was in mostly rookie ball, brief cameo in low A. He'll start this year at low A in Lynn Empire. But I see him as a third baseman. He's played a little bit of short, but I think he's going to end up at third. A guy who's already been moved to third and may not even stick there is Werner Blakely, 2024th rounder out of high school, 55 games in low A, 295, 447, 470, five home runs, 20 extra base hits, 45 walks to 70 strikeouts in 24-26 on stolen bases. Already moved from shortstop to third base, still has glove issues, still doesn't always field it cleanly, doesn't always make the transfer, the arm's only average, so it doesn't always get there in time. I do think he's, above average speed, I do think he's going to end up moving to the left, to left field. Uh, he's 6'3", so uh, above average speed combined with, you know, those long strides, he can cover ground, he could probably play some right field or center. I don't quite know, we haven't seen him do it yet, but he is athletic. I just don't think he's going to stick in the infield because of the hands not necessarily keeping the body in sync, doesn't have a great platform when he throws sometimes, and so the throws off target are inaccurate, and again, the arms, nothing special anyway. Offensively, very disciplined at the plate, good batter's eye. It just kind of feels like the hit and power tools are both only average. So he's going to, nothing's a carrying tool right now. And so far, he hasn't really played as better than the sum of his parts. I think if he moved him to the outfield, he has a chance to give that a shot. In just a minute, we're going to a couple rapid-fire questions about Cal State Fullerton guys in MLB and c- catchers calling games, and then we're having the conversation about the future of TV contracts. Big story nobody's talking about right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Okay, and we're back. So, uh, Colin via email asked if there's any Cal State Fullerton alumni uh, who are in the minor leagues getting ready to, call, to be called up. So, Cal State Fullerton has an impressive list of current big leaders. Not enough for a full team, mind you, but J.D. Davis, now with the Giants. Uh, third, third baseman Matt Chapman with Toronto. Third baseman Justin Turner, now with the Boston Red Sox. Quite a few third basemen there. Kurt Suzuki, the catcher, most recently with the Angels. I think he's unsigned. He may have retired. Couple pitchers, Dylan Floro, Michael Lorenzen. But the guy you need to know about, starting pitcher Tanny Bibby. 2021 fifth rounder by the Guardians. Not, might, not get, might not debut this year, but has a chance because he looks so good. So 25 games started between double A and high A. 12 and high A, 13 and double A. Combined record of 8 and 2 with a 217 ERA and 132 and two thirds innings, 167 strikeouts, so 11.3 per nine, to 27 walks, 1.83 per nine, 12 home runs allowed. Just about everything except strikeouts per nine got better in double A. The double A, he threw a complete game, uh, ERA of 183 and a 6 1 record. He is very rapidly advancing up top 100 lists. And I think Tanner Bibby has an outside chance if Cleveland needs additional pitching help this year to get called up and pitch this year. Another in a great line of Cal State Fullerton guys. VWC Runner in our Discord said, I've noticed a few times that you've mentioned about college catchers not calling their own games, about how that's done from the dugout. Is that something we're going to see come to MLB? And I don't think we are. So yes, analytics have gotten a lot more uh, involved 
in the day-to-day of the team and some of the decisions that are made. But I think the concerns with, one, the pitch clock, trying to get a call in from the dugout to the catcher and pitcher, given the fact that you're on a pitch clock now, and you're not allowed to use a pitch comm device from the dugout. The only person that can have a pitch comm transmitter is the catcher. The only person that can have a pitch comm receiver is I is the catch is the, the, the pitcher and I believe one or two defenders. I think the shortstop and center fielder can have it. And so I don't think you're gonna see a lot of stuff where the they're calling it from the dugout because you don't have time. Combine that with the fact of a lot of your veterans aren't going to want to give that up. Now, I do think you're going to have more work to do to get catchers ready. Catchers already have one of the longest development curves of any player in the minors, and part of that is because of the time it takes to learn to call games. It just, to me, feels like your pitching coach has so many things to worry about during a game, like the bullpen and stuff like that, that calling individual pitches may not necessarily work. I do think you'll see an uptick in how often you ask that catcher to, or how often your coach uh, gives suggestions and sends out signals. I, I do think you'll see an uptick in that. Uh, I just don't necessarily think it's going to translate into calling the game from the dugout because of the time constraints, as well as obviously the secrecy. It's a lot harder to hide your signals if everybody in the field can see it versus when it's a, a catcher given a signal and it can only be seen by a guy on second base or uh, somebody who's cheating. Uh, Chef Shelio has asked a couple questions in our Discord about the future of TV contracts and what happens if Bally Sports folds or is sold. So, recap: Diamond Sports is the uh, is the owner of the Bally Sports branded channels. They have 19 channels. They paid 9.6 billion dollars for in 2019 that cover 42 teams across basketball, hockey, and baseball. Uh, MLB's done a couple things here. One, they hired Billy Chambers away from Sinclair. Uh, starts on February 1st. He's the executive vice president for local media for MLB. It's a new position. They brought him in. And I saw an interview recently with Chief Revenue Officer Noah Garden about some of what MLB has done. Um, so an important thing to understand how, how revenues work in baseball is there is team revenue. And they're like, and that is divided into uh, the gate and game day stuff. That is divided into non-baseball revenue, uh, and then there is television revenue. So, gate gate and game day revenue, as well as television revenue, is subject to revenue sharing. So, forty-eight percent of that money is pooled and divided evenly amongst all thirty-two amongst all thirty teams. 3.3% per team. The idea here is if you are a low revenue team, you are getting more back than you put in. Uh, if you're a high revenue team, you are giving more than you get back. And so that is how they distribute some of the income. Um, so you low revenue teams get help financially there. Revenue sharing money is supposed to be used to improve the roster, but it's not required to be used on payroll. So a lot of organizations can talk and do uh, player development or scouting, use it for things like that versus actual salaries. Uh, Starting in 2022, every team got a guaranteed $60.1 million from the national television deal. That covers the postseason, 
that covers the games that are available on ESPN, as well as the Apple TV Friday night games, a lot of other stuff. So you're guaranteed that. And then you have your local television deal, which varies from team to team. Um, The Yankees own YES Network. The Mets own SNY. Those are kind of the ideals for how is this going to work or what's, what's the perfect scenario. They own the channel. So any money that that channel makes, whether it's selling ads, things like that, carriage fees, they get all of that. Everybody else makes their money off of the television contract, whether it's with Valley or with somebody else. Uh, and those amounts vary per team. Every team makes at least $40 million, which means that every team makes at least $100 million in revenue without playing a game. And so there's no reason payroll should be under $100 million, honestly. But what's going to happen here is, if, okay, let's address these different order. If Bally Sports folds or is sold, I think you'll see things where some of the leagues may give a financial injection into Bally. That may be they buy it. That may be they just get equity shares and they have partial ownership. But it is so important to NBA and NHL and MLB teams that that Bally system is up and running because so much of the costs for payroll and things like that are predicated on those television deals. I think the moment has passed when MLB can just ignore Sinclair or ignore Bally and not care about what happens to the regional sports networks, the RSNs, because they think they'll be fine other ways. I think at this point, they have to care about it. Now, back to that interview I mentioned with Noah Gardner, he was talking a lot about some of the future plans, and they're really happy with what they did last year for streaming. Obviously, you had the YouTube games where every day, I think it was, I think it was every day on YouTube, a different game was the free game of the week. Uh, app, uh, Friday night, Apple TV games. You had Sunday night on ESPN. And all the stuff that they do that's streaming, the demographic is younger than it is on the cable broadcasts. And they've said that what they really like is the ability to target or to focus on specific audiences. So for instance, they could do an alternative broadcast on a streaming site where you saw different stats as an overlay. And ESPN's done some of this with the Sunday Night Baseball. You can get the StatCast one where it's different from the, from the normal announcing crew. You've seen that. Uh, there was an all-woman broadcast, I think, on YouTube last year. There's a lot of different options of ways you can do this. But they said to expect that to expand, and the primary criteria they're using to figure out how to expand this is can we increase our reach? Can we get more people able to watch our games? Peacock had some games last year. Uh, Peacock has a free ad-supported tier, but these games were only available on the paid Peacock. Apple TV is mostly paid, non-ad-supported, but these were available for free with ads. So. Some work to do there. I think the two big things to watch to figure out how how MLB approaches this going forward is Apple TV has a deal with MLS, uh, Major League Soccer. You'll have a little bit of stuff on linear television, but most everything for Major League Soccer is going inside of Apple TV behind the paywall. So let's see how that does. And then number two Google, via YouTube TV, has just taken over the rights to Sunday Ticket uh, for the NFL. Again, I think the MLB is going to be watching closely to see how that does. 
because depending on the viability of that determines where MLB goes after some of these contracts begin to expire and or if Bally has enough financial issues where the leagues have to step in with equity stakes, they may work and find language to spin off the digital rights and establish a streaming service. Be interesting to see where that goes. I'll give you more about that as I learn about it. Fantastic week coming up this week. We're previewing the National League Central. Tomorrow it's the St. Louis Cardinals who have promoted a lot of hitters recently, but one big one still coming up is Jordan Walker. And the question is, where do you find room in the outfield to play him? So all that and more coming up this week. But in the meantime, if you have questions for the mailbag, again, we do them every single Monday. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show is on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com or join the new Locked on MLB Prospects Discord. Link is in the episode description. Link is in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, this is has been Locked on MLB Prospects.